We're going to compare Captain Nemo from the Jules Verne novel 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea to the Void in Genesis 1. We have in this life an innate allegiance to the laws of creation, to the fundamentals of the universe. And to fight these fundamental laws is foolish. There's an idea in our modern world that having a free spirit and pursuing one's own will without consideration of a higher will will bring one to liberty. That if one can just shirk all rules of civilization that one can find freedom. Furthermore, this idea thinks that if people can bear false witness about creation and pursue their own desires and perhaps even their own persuasions, trying to redesign their person or reconstructing the world around us, of course, after deconstructing it, that one can design the world to their own bidding and that this will ultimately bring them fulfillment and liberty. But this is mere foolishness. There is no liberty without the law and there is no liberty in living in a lie. There is no liberty in the void. When we go back to Genesis 1, there is this void which is absence. It's no matter. It's absence of substance. There is no purpose. There is no meaning. There is no good. It is a void. It is a emptiness. And today we're going to discuss this void by comparing it to Captain Nemo, the submarine captain in the Jules Verne novel 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And of course, Captain Nemo is the captain of the Nautilus, and that is the name of the submarine boat. And if you haven't read 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, it is a beautiful work. It remarkably is one of the most theological things I think I've encountered that I don't think was intending to be theological. It's almost spooky that I picked up this book right as we were reading through Genesis and studying it together as a, a church and even with those of you online because there are so many parallels between the void and the desired life that Captain Nemo wants to live. One of the themes in the novel is that Captain Nemo, he has thrown away all allegiance to the terrestrial world. He wants to live under the sea without ever stepping on dry land ever again. Now, the book follows the story of the main character who is a professor, Professor Aranax, and his assistant, Kansei. Now, there's a huge contrast between Kansei, the professor's assistant, and Captain Nemo, where Captain Nemo has no allegiance to anything of the world. In fact, he's trapped basically between Genesis chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, that place where there is a chaotic water, and then God comes and speaks light. He is stuck in this place which rejects everything. He stays down within the darkness of the ocean, only living by the unnatural light put off by the submarine. But to contrast that, Kansei has an unchallenged loyalty to his master. And there is a huge example that we can learn about allegiance to creation and even how the void is as we read this book. So if you're looking for something to read, go out and check out 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. It's absolutely beautiful, and we're going to be referencing a lot throughout Genesis as well as some other books that, that tie in. But to start off, I just want to say welcome. This is Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by Clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I am Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and today is Ash Wednesday. If you did not guess that from the ash there on my, my forehead, or if you're listening to the audio version of this, I, I have ash on right now. This is the second sermon in our series, Studying Genesis, and if anyone has any thoughts, questions, or comments, please send them to me. But let's get right into this, and let's jump into this by building off of our last sermon on Genesis 1, where we established that there is a connection between having purpose and being good. And this is true in the existential sense. As God speaks the various particularities of creation into place, the state of being considered good cannot be separated from each particularity's designed purpose. In short, to put this in down-to-earth language, God th designs things with meaning, and that is good. You can't separate having meaning from being good. 
Now, that doesn't mean that any meaning is good, but it means the ones that are designed by God, they are, are good, and you can't separate those things from one another. And when we use the term good, we're not meaning it as saying something is nice or it's okay and we like it, but it is something which is actually derived from God. It has an eternal good about it. There's an element of virtue connected to this. The framework of creation is centered around a certain set of universal goods, or perhaps one might call them universal rules. As we look at Genesis chapter 1, we find that God puts things together in a particular order. And not only does each aspect of creation have a purpose, but each of these various aspects of creation, they must respect one another. And what I mean by that is God says, let there be light and there is light. But the light, as God separates it into night and day, it cannot choose that it is going to perhaps shed light on the sea, but not the dry land. It's just not something that the light can do. The physics of the universe, they are set in motion. And everything living in this universe must have some allegiance to these rules. The light, it cannot say to the land that it refuses to touch it. The heavens above, they cannot say that they are only going to be above the land, but not the waters below. The creeping things, they cannot say that they refuse to creep along the earth or perhaps swim along the sea, but instead they will return to the void and creep and swim there. These are just things which are not possible. They are fundamentally impossible. For the various components of creation, they must abide by the organization which God has set before them. Now let's talk a little bit about 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Recently I've been reading this novel, and it's an absolutely fascinating book. As I come back to some of these classics of literature, I am actually quite ashamed and heartbroken because our modern culture is not producing anything anywhere near the magnitude of, of many of the, the great artists that have come before us. You go back and you read things like the Jules Verne novels or perhaps the Agatha Christie Ministries, and you find that these people are more than capable of creating fascinating worlds. They are some of the most theological texts, even without intending to be so. We've come to a, a culture which is so devolved and lost the, the premises of Christianity. It's so moved away from the Judeo-Christian values that even the side byproducts of culture are just, well, they're not very good. But you go back to things like Jules Verne and you find what is almost providential in its ability to teach you about the void. So as we're studying Genesis, I highly recommend that you pick up this book, get the audiobook version of it. Um, as it is now, I think you can actually find the audiobook on YouTube in a couple of different formats. So there's a lot of ways you can get this. It's free, free on Amazon. Go out there, pick up this book and read it. It's absolutely fantastic. And if you're not familiar with the book 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne, it is the story of a professor and his assistant who are trapped in a 19th century submarine with the ever-puzzling Captain Nemo. Now, of course, in the 19th century, submarines weren't really a thing. And when this novel was produced, well, submarines really were not a thing at all. So just keep that in mind. Even though it doesn't really change the story or not, this story could still take place in the modern world and have the exact same impact. Because it, it has this guy in there, Captain Nemo. And he himself, he's somewhere between being a hero and a monster. And quite clearly, with the imagery that's found within the book, he is somewhere between being a, a monster and a hero. But nonetheless, he is a man who has rejected his allegiance to the world. In a sense, he is a man trapped between verses 2 and 3 of Genesis 1. And if we go back and reread these verses in Genesis 1, verse 2 reads as follows. The earth was a form and void. Or, excuse me, the earth was without form and void. And the darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In Genesis 2, you get a void. There's nothing there. There's no land. There's no light. There's no creeping things. It's sort of this chaotic void. 
But in verse 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, one can argue that Captain Nemo has gone back somewhere close to this void. He's not quite there. There are still creeping things, and there are still creatures of the sea, and there is still the occasional sunlight which peeks through when one is at the surface. But he has gone all the way down the path of rejecting life as intended. He is a man who has rejected the terrestrial lifestyle. And by that I mean he is not living on dry land, but instead under the water. He has rejected existence on land. He has broken the natural allegiance that all mankind has to the world. He has managed to work himself into the void. Moreover, he thinks that this is where liberty is found. Quite literally, he refuses to set foot on dry land and even tells those aboard a ship that this is where one finds liberty. They are not imprisoned by anything other than the circumstances of being on a submarine, but they are free. They have an endless journey that they can go on. He even has constructed coal mines and graveyards beneath the sea so that he may never have to encounter the terrestrial world again. Nemo fancies himself that he is of the utmost liberty, that in breaking allegiance from the terrestrial world, he has to answer to no one. Quite literally, he alone can investigate the waters and he takes place with his life down on the submarine world. Now, many people in our modern world, they would say that this is liberty. You're free of all laws of any nation. You don't have to worry about modern economies. You don't have to worry about dealing with other people. You have ultimate liberty. Many people in our world, they think that if they can rid themselves of their surrounding circumstances, that they will be free. And naturally, there is some truth to this such as the instance where one is actually being imprisoned against their will for unjust reasons. However, there are times when we are confined by our circumstances for very just and very appropriate reasons. Sometimes we are confined by our circumstances just because it is so. We are brought into this world without ever being asked for consent to join. And that's just fundamentally true. Even the various aspects of creation in Genesis 1, they are brought in without ever God asking their consent. We are forced to have an allegiance to this world simply because it is so. The question is, we ultimately are given a choice for whether or not we will have allegiance to the one who created the world. Will we have allegiance to its creator and thus partake in the liberty of existing in God's creation as God intended for us to? In 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the main character is Professor Aranax, and he enters Captain Nemo's submarine boat, the Nautilus, quite by unexpected circumstances. In fact, he doesn't even realize he's about to be in a submarine. He thinks he is on a, a ship out to fight a giant Nautilus when he is knocked overboard and finds himself stranded in the sea. Once he finds himself a prisoner on the Nautilus, he considers himself a prisoner. But Captain Nemo, the captain of this submarine boat, tries to convince him, along with the others, that they are not prisoners. In fact, he tries to convince them that they are, in fact, free so long as they just agree to being under Captain Nemo's command. It's interesting, the things which always try to trick us into a new liberty always want us to submit to them, but that's another point we'll get to later. Over time, Professor Aranax comes to enjoy life on the submarine. It has a wonderful library, a museum with the finest art, and it has the ability to go on fantastic underwater adventures. The Nautilus, it is, in a sort, a paradise. There is a really strong case to be made that this is liberty. One is free from all the sufferings of the world, and they do get to see beautiful things that no other man has seen before. 
they get to go to unnatural places. And when this novel was put out, submarines of this sort did not exist. The dive suits, as described in this book, they did not exist yet. And it would have been an ultimate fantasy. But even for those of us living in a world where we do have more complex dive suits, we do have submarines of this magnitude, it still seems like a fantasy to have your own private submarine to just slip around the world and investigate things by your own desire. It is a paradise. But at the same time, it is very obviously a prison. Those stranded on the Nautilus, they realize at first that they are prisoners, but as time goes on, the main character, Professor Aranax, he starts to consider that he, he kind of enjoys his time on the Nautilus. And even for the readers who spend time in this, you start to realize that it's actually kind of fun being here. But at the same time, you realize you must eventually put the book down and you must eventually escape from the Nautilus. Just as Professor Aranax, if he ever wants to truly find liberty, he must leave. As we study Genesis, one of the themes we're going to find is that there is a temptation to curse God and die. In fact, it's a very old temptation. We find it in the book of Job, but we also find it here in Genesis. The crafty serpent, it wants people to curse God and die. And after a while, we will iterate this point with great precision. But for now, let us consider how we are tempted to live in the void. And that is a mechanism where we go to curse God and die. It is a place where we curse God in entering the void. And also we end up dying in a place without meaning when we go there. Living in the void, the temptation of going to the void, it is a very dangerous trick. The mechanism which tempts us to go there is a very dubious one. There is this desire we have to live in a world free of consequences, to go live on a submarine, free from all the sufferings of the world, and to be surrounded by beauty, both that which is naturally occurring and also that which is in the finest museum. This is one of the great temptations of life, to give up the fight, to give up the allegiance we have to the world, to give up the meaning that we have, to give up any honest examination of the world, and to just give in to a, well, base prison. Captain Nemo's indefatigable rejection of his natural allegiance to the terrestrial world is contrasted by that of Kansei, who is Professor Aranax's assistant. And now, earlier, as we were opening up the sermon, I mentioned that there is this huge theme of allegiance to the world. Within Genesis 1, there's this idea that each of the aspects of creation, they have a fundamental allegiance to the world. Again, the creatures of the land and the sea, they don't just get to say, well, we're going to go exist in the heavens above. We're going to go out and live in space now. The light doesn't get to say, well, I'll shine some light on this piece of land, but not that. The heavens above, the waters above, they don't get to say, well, we're going to be the waters above, but we're going to break the laws of physics or even the laws of language and say somehow we're above this, but not above that. It just it turns into nonsense really quickly when the laws of the universe break down. The laws of the universe, they are quite fixed. We cannot rewrite them by a whim. And Captain Nemo, he is someone who has tried to reject the laws of the universe. He is rejecting his allegiance to them. And it's a huge theme of the book. And contrasted by that is the professor's assistant, Kansei. And if you've watched the 1997 movie adaptation of this, they write out Kansei and they instead throw in a professor's daughter who's not in the book and they have a cheap romantic subplot and it's so terrible. And this is why I hate a lot of modern movies and things because they want to check boxes and say, well, we, we had dealt with this identity. We did identity politics. We got a romance theme in there. And in doing that, they ruin art and they take away the beautiful things from, from history. It's so sad. It's so, so pathetic. But anyways, Kansei, one of the great characters in the book, he has an unrelenting allegiance to Professor Aranax. 
He loves the professor and not any of the cheesy, watery, down, terrible things our modern world would put in there and say, oh, well, there's this sub theme. No, he has a love for the professor's work. He has perfect loyalty to the professor who is his master. The servant is perfectly faithful to the master, even to the point where when the professor, he falls off the boat before going onto the Nautilus, he falls into the sea and he thinks that he is drowning only to find that his servant Kansei is there with him. And when asked why Kansei jumped to what was certainly his death, Kansei simply responds, what else was I to do? The master went into the water, so so did I. This theme of this unrelenting loyalty, it's not a blind loyalty. It's not a blind trust, but it is one that is motivated by deeper things. There's an, a deep allegiance that Kansei has to his master, that Kansei, the assistant, he has to the professor, and he wants to do what is good, not just by the professor's eye, but he, he sees the work of the professor as something which is good. Their work together, their, their purpose that they have in this world is something to aspire for. And there's a lot of things to aspire for when one has a whole world of opportunity, when one has things to research, when there are conflicts to sort out, there is meaning, there is aspiration. But within this book, there is this sad prison, which is the Nautilus. And it's sad because it is tricky. It's beautiful and it seems perfect in every way, but in the end, it is a prison. And when you look at the difference between Captain Nemo, who has rejected his allegiance to the world, and you look at Kansei, who has a perfect loyalty and perfect allegiance to his master, you see that these are two different approaches to how we deal with the world. Fundamentally, we are in the reality we are in. We are here and are at this point in time in the cosmos. And we can either bear false witness about creation or we can be honest about creation. God put the universe together in such a way that is very particular. The purpose we have in life, we can either embrace it and we can have allegiance to our purpose or we can reject it and go back to the void. Ultimately, this will put us in a prison just as Captain Nemo creates a prison for himself. The void is a prison. To live life in such a way that rejects the truth of creation is to create a prison for oneself. And as one reads 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, one is placed in this position where you, you've got to ask yourself, do I want to just give in to a prison? Do I want to, to give up my liberties to be surrounded by, by beauty that ultimately is probably going to get boring, that is probably not going to, to keep us satisfied because it's so overwhelming? That's one of the things which happens even within the book is that those who are on board the Nautilus, they realize that they can only see the magnificent and beautiful things for so long because it will exhaust them if they see too much of it at once. Because that really is what the ultimate life of hedonism is. It is unfulfilling. There is, there's nothing there. It's an ultimate trap. It's a prison. This is what anarchy is. This is what the void is. They are ultimate prisons. There is no liberty without being honest about creation. We must be an honest witness to the world around us. We must be an honest witness to the purpose which God has for us in our lives. The various aspects of creation have a purpose. And when we reject God's purpose and enter into the void, we do not find liberty, but instead find an unending trap, which we cannot escape. We cannot fight the laws of the universe forever. Today is Ash Wednesday, and... We're going to shift gears just for a few moments here before we close, and I want to talk to people a little bit about Ash Wednesday. 
Ash Wednesday, it is 40 days before Easter. It is a time where people set aside their life to recognize that preparations need to be made for Easter. It is a holy and solemn day because one recognizes that the work of the cross is no small work. It is something which fundamentally took creation to a new level. Again, God does not reject his allegiance to the world or his allegiance to that which he created, but instead he wants to fulfill his promise to creation. He wants to fulfill the law. He wants to take humanity to a new level. He wants to redefine life and death in a way that only God can. Again, it is not a rejection or a breaking of an allegiance, but instead it is a fulfillment. It is a taking things to their next fruition. So as we are here on Ash Wednesday... It is quite traditional for people to take ashes, which are made from burning the palm leaves from the Palm Sunday of the previous year, and put them on their their forehead. It is a way of being somber and also paying homage to the, the upcoming season. It is also traditional that people give up something throughout the duration of Lent, and I encourage people to do that. One of the things that I've seen suggested this year that are quite good to give up are you know, your early morning social media feed or news or things like that. In For my personal recommendation, as we go into the season of Lent, I really would recommend that people give up a lot of the modern just tropes of of boring civilization that we're plagued by. The, The world around us wants to make everything political. It wants to inject identity politics and all this stuff into it, and it's just garbage. I would highly recommend that for the season of Lent, to give up a lot of the the low-quality modern culture and go back to the classics. Go back and find a, a classic piece of literature. Spend, spend time looking at something from, from our history. Go back to church history and spend time learning about the people who come before us. Pick up a book like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Pick up something like Teresa de la Sue's A Story of a Soul. Pick up a book like that and and not only increase your, your intellect, but come closer to God and learning the beautiful things which have been done by God's people. Well, that being said, I hope that you do have a, a good Lent, and we will be back to talk about Genesis more in the future. And with that, God love you, and have a blessed day.